Today is a special day, if I do say so myself. We get to celebrate today the dads in our lives. And I know that today may not be easy for everyone. Uh, perhaps your father has passed away, and so the feelings you have today may be tinged with sadness over someone that you loved and missed so much. Uh, not everyone, too, has had a good relationship with their dad. And so Father's Day can be sort of difficult, and maybe today you're feeling anger and frustration when you think about that relationship. Or maybe your dad was a wonderful father, and for you there is much to celebrate today. Uh, I would like to say early on, though, that no matter who we come from or what our family background is or whatever, one thing we celebrate is how good our God is to us. So in honor of dads, <clears throat> I only seem to get sick on weekdays. I must have a weakened immune system. <laughs> Am I right? My friend was showing me his tool shed and pointed to a ladder. That's my stepladder, he said. I never knew my real ladder. <laughs> oh, there's more. I just found out I'm colorblind. The news came out of the purple. Yeah, just think about it for a second if you. <clears throat> Did you know your pupils are the last part of your body to stop working when you die? It's because they dilate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's the difference between a well-dressed man on a unicycle and a poorly dressed man on a bicycle? Attire. Most of these are for Randy, I have to be honest with you. <laughs> Where do pirates get their pirate hook? At a secondhand store. Finally, what do you call a beehive without an exit? Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Right? You're welcome. <laughs> Microphone drop. What does it mean to be a father? Uh, or maybe a better question is, what images come to mind when I say the word father? Maybe uh, you think of a father, maybe your father was able to uh, build and fix things. And you know when you're a dad and your kids are young, they believe that you have some supernatural ability to fix things, things that are horribly broken. And I'm not sure where they got this idea, especially from me, but they have disavowed themselves of that from this point. Uh, dads are always perceived or expected to be strong, and this applies to physical things such as being able to open uh, jars, lift heavy things, uh, throw your kids over your shoulders and wrestle with them, but it extends to other areas too, uh, which you may not think of in terms of, like, are dads supposed to cry or not? I mean, they're not really supposed to unless they're like trimming their nose hairs or watching, or watching the end of Field of Dreams, but otherwise, you know, dads don't show all that much emotion. And dads aren't supposed to be afraid of anything either, uh, including spiders or snakes or sharks, which, you know, you know how I feel about that. Dads always need to have an answer to every question. Uh, they always have an answer. My father is notorious for uh, making up answers to things that he has no business knowing the answer to and passing it off as the truth. 
In a dad's uh, dictionary, I don't know are dirty words. Now, I've been a father for almost 16 years. Zeke is going to turn 16 next Sunday. And without a doubt, I can say it is one of the most rewarding and challenging experiences of my life, being a father. And the last couple years have kind of been challenging for not only for them to be kids, but for me to be their dad. Um, and we have faced several things, Nisha and I, with Zeke going into ninth grade and Jed going into sixth grade, um, that have stretched what we understand our role is as parents. I mean, making it through the global pandemic was the easy part. But ninth grade is a pandemic all of its own. And between social media and friends' issues and bullying, and I'm not kidding, a complicated plot to get Jed suspended at one point, re-socialization after COVID, there has been a lot for us to deal with. And all of these things that we've had to deal with over the last year in particular have given me a chance to reflect on what kind of father I want to be, things that I want to do better, ways I have failed, and things that maybe I've done well and can be proud of. I'm raising two boys, and much of what they learn about what it means to be a man who loves God, they are going to learn from me. And they're going to learn from you, too. But here's one of the challenges that I face today that uh, many of us who are dads in the room face today, is that there are a lot of discussions over what the positive qualities of a man should be. There's been a lot of discussion over the last couple years over what is manly, what is not, and whether or not the definition, the classic definition of manliness needs to change. Phrases like toxic masculinity, which has been around for a long time, actually. This is not a new phrase, but it has come to the forefront of several descriptions uh, or discussions about what it means to be a man. So you might not have heard that term, but, that term, but here are some uh, descriptions of what toxic masculinity can look like. Being stoic, in other words, not showing any emotion no matter what's going on. Uh, being promiscuous, negative talk against anyone who is not manly enough, uh, being violent, being dominant, sexual aggression toward women, not displaying any emotion again or crying, and not supporting women in the roles that they play in our society. So when you hear that list, maybe you're like, oh yeah, that does sound kind of bad. <laughs> like maybe that is something that needs to change. And you may not agree with all of those things. Well, you know, if we get rid of this, then what about that? And if we don't have this as much, then what does this mean? But I have seen each of these traits play out in negative ways in the lives of fathers and their children. I have seen each of these things become a problem that at some point has to be dealt with within the father and child relationship. And I've seen the damage that can happen when these things, in some combination, become the hallmark of who someone's father is. The challenge that is put before me then, raising these two kids into high school and beyond, is that there are a lot of manly things I want them to learn. And don't laugh, I can teach my kids manly things. 
like how to match their clothes. But I also see that there are some things I don't want them to learn from me. And the weight of that now in the world that we live in feels heavy. Interestingly enough, the book of Romans does speak to these things. And just as it has given us a map to understand what it means to be a Christian, it also gives me insight into what kind of dad I want to be. And so I want to suggest these things to you. I'm, I'm telling you my reflections, but you may, might be able to apply this to your own relationship with your kids, with your grandchildren, with any you know, young person that is in your life. So here's the first thing that I think Romans teaches us about how to be parents in this time. And the first thing we should do is teach our kids how to fail. We spend a lot of time teaching them how to succeed. But we don't spend hardly any time teaching them how to fail. And surely you remember these words from Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. We have been over what this verse tells us uh, during this study in the book of Romans about how we should see ourselves. But what does it tell me as a dad? I cannot stress enough how important this one particular point is to me. We, We put success in front of our children as if it's something they must accomplish at all times. We put pressure on them to meet all the expectations that are put in front of them, and we punish them when they don't meet those expectations. And we say that we are disappointed in them, or that they've let us down. And, you know, sometimes you learn a lesson from hearing those words. And learning the habits that will bring success are important. But it's also important that I teach them what to do when they fail. If my boys don't understand failure and how to deal with it, then I have done them a disservice. And when they become adults and don't know how to handle it, the only person I can blame is myself. The truth is that we all fail. Amen? Amen. And we are going to continue to fail. Paul has made that point clear, that we cannot get over our own failure. So my job as a dad, then, is to teach my sons that failure happens, but we are not defined by our failure. God justifies us in spite of our failures. Therefore, how I treat them and love them when they fail is an expression of the love and grace that God has for all of us and that God has especially had for me. They will learn about what it means to be loved through failure and how to overcome by the way that I love them through their own shortcomings. I know I have failed as a person more times than I can count, and God still loves me. God still loves me. 
And my children need to know that too. That they're not going to be perfect. But God will always love them. And I will always love them. One of the best things that I have learned to do over these past two years is to apologize when I made a mistake. Instead of pretending that I didn't or that I was justified in getting angrier about something than I should have, when I don't understand what's going on or when I'm too heavy-handed about something, I've learned to apologize to them and to say exactly what it is that I think I did wrong. So they know that it's okay to admit you made a mistake. And it's a powerful thing to own that mistake and to ask for forgiveness. So I need to teach my kids how to fail. Secondly, I need to teach them not to judge other people. I need to teach them not to judge other people. We live in a time and environment where judgment is everywhere. And it's hitting everyone without discrimination. Liberals, conservatives, men, women, cats, not dogs. <laughs> Basically, there is some sort of judgment coming your way no matter who you are, unless, of course, you're a dog. Disagree with someone on any topic, any topic, and judgment will come swiftly your way. Knowingly or not, we can pass down judgmentalism to our kids. Uh, the things that we say at home when it's just us, the jokes we might make about different people, the complaining about those that frustrate us. All of these things are taken in by our kids, and they start to form ideas about people based on the things that we say. So therefore, whatever prejudices we may have, we pass those on to them. We pass them on to our kids. So we're reminded from Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Paul has just gone through this, laying out kind of the, the worst possible example, the most offensive person he could describe to this group of people. And he gets through all of that and how awful this group of people are. And he says, you, therefore, you have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for what, whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Paul makes it clear that we are not qualified to judge other people. We are not qualified because of our own shortcomings. And when we sit back and judge someone else for what they are doing, we are forgetting how much baggage we are carrying with us. And so Paul tells us, don't judge others because you're worse probably than they are. But beyond that, and this is the important part, I think, judgment of others in today's society especially keeps us from loving those that are different than us. Judgment of others keeps us from loving those that are different than us. And if I want my kids to change the world for Jesus, they need me to show them how to value and love everyone even if we don't agree with them. So having conversations with Zeke about people at school that talk bad about people who go to church or have a religious relationship at any time. I don't want to teach him how to fight with them. 
I want to teach them how to love and care for them. Even though they might say things that are tough and that he might have to deal with. So they need to learn from me how to do that. And the best way they're going to learn how to do that is for me to tell them, this kind of person is hard for me, but here's what I, I need, how I need to remind myself about how to love them and not get caught up in my own issues. Number three, this goes kind of along with that, is that we need to communicate the truth about our lives. Share your struggles. Share your doubts and your fears, because we all have them. And I don't want my kids, as they grow up, to look at me and think that I never had a question for God. That I never had an issue that I had a hard time getting over. That Dad always knew what was right. Because that's a lie. (laughs) It's not true. We hurt ourselves when we try to keep all of those things hidden. And as a dad, I can choose how my kids learn how to handle the things in their lives. And I can pretend that I never make mistakes or never doubt what is going on around me, that I always know what to do, or I can tell them the truth. Guys, this is hard. But here's how we're going to try to work through the hard part. One of my favorite sections of Romans comes from chapter 7, in which Paul lays out his own struggle with sin. In this chapter, he transitions from being one who is telling them how to live a Christian life to one who struggles with life just like them. And he says, starting in verse 14, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through judgment through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we talked about this passage as we went through it, but I want to remind you again the significance of Paul doing this, of laying himself out bare to a group of people that he's supposed to be telling how to do this successfully. Why is it so important that he says these things? Because He doesn't want to ultimately come across as just the guy who knows better and is telling you what to do. Instead, in these moments where he shares these things, he becomes someone real. He stops being an authority and instead becomes someone who is living the Christian life along with the Roman church. And he knows how frustrating it is to try to do this. 
Because you are constantly butting up against your own stubbornness, your own failure, your own inabilities. And so he powerfully lays out, man, do I not have this all figured out yet. But where he ends is just as important. I'm a mess. But thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus. And through those words, he describes to them the gospel. What it looks like in real life. It is the power of God that overcomes all of our sin and our failures. And so God doesn't ask for me to live a perfect life for my children, that they never see me cry or be upset or hurt or fail. He asks for me to be real in front of them because when I am, and they know the struggles and troubles that I have, they will know that it's okay to deal with that also. And that maybe it's even better to talk about what's really hard and work through it together. So to that end, we need to model, I need to model as a parent my dependency on God. The conclusion that Paul came to in chapter 7 is a powerful one. Who will save me? It is God who saves me. So do my kids know how dependent I am upon God? Have I told them? Have I lived my life in such a way that they see me relying on God at all times? And this might be one of the most valuable things I can teach them, that I am relying upon God for everything, that he is the giver of all good things we have. He is our firm foundation in the middle of the storm. He is our counselor, supporter, and the lover of our souls, that God is wound so tightly throughout my life that I cannot speak about myself without speaking of him. I am dependent on God. And they need to see me be dependent on God. And lastly, we need to practice sincere love. From Romans 12, 9 through 16, and verse 21. Love must be, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not overcome. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul has so much to say in the book of Romans about how we treat one another, how we treat those who are within the church, how we treat those who are not in the church, how we love people, how we create a new Jesus-centric ethic which influences us to treat people, no matter where they are from, differently than anyone else should treat them. We should treat people better than anyone else as those who know the love of Jesus. So I want my children to learn to love other people sincerely based on how I love them and love others.
They will learn to love others based on what I do. And if I want them to learn to love like Jesus, then I need to love like Jesus. And I need to to be in relationship with those who are different or less fortunate or whatever. And I need to take the love of God out to those people because my children will see me do it. And they will see that I love them. I love these other people who don't agree with me or who think I'm stupid for believing in God or who think I'm just like someone who treated them so badly however many years before because I belong to a church. I will love all of them. And my kids will learn to love as well. So I guess in short, what does it take to be the dad that I want to be? It takes authenticity. I need to live my life in front of and with my children. I want to show them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I want to live out my life not as a man. You know, anyone could teach them to be a man. But as a man who has been forever changed by the overwhelming love of Jesus shown to me. And as best as possible, I want them to learn this from me. Their dad. The guy on this earth who loves them more than anything else. And if I can teach them these things, then one day they might be able to teach their sons and their daughters, and they can be celebrated as fathers who live and model the love of God because they have known it through the example of their mother and father. Amen.